I am fascinated, intrigued, and honored you by may the have done what they said you did, but they are magnificent, they marvelous. Are. You need to know that you're okay just the way you are. You succeeded in you as a child. What you've been through matters. This podcast is designed for you. It's Love on a mission hope. in a world where human experience is lacking. My name is Ginger Wilk, and we're here to talk about that which matters. Welcome to That Which Matters. I'm your host, Ginger Wilk, and I'm so excited about launching this podcast and getting an opportunity to share with you lessons and observations that I have learned over the years in the many diverse experiences that I've had with working with people. As your host, who is just beginning to build trust with you, I want to share with you a little bit about who I am. I've been married for almost 35 years. I have two adult children. I've worked in the social service field for 36 years. I have worked with teens in residential foster care settings and with substance use treatment facilities. I have provided individual and group treatment for people who were incarcerated or re-entering into the community. I've served as a pastoral care counselor and leader in churches for over 30 years. I've been a director for a nonprofit program and have provided treatment to people experiencing issues with domestic violence and coming out of incarceration. I was a youth leader in Spanish Harlem, and I have written and directed over eight plays about the human experience. One of my favorite scriptures is, the purposes of a man's heart is deep waters, but a person of understanding draws them out. This podcast is designed for you to draw out the experiences that you have gone through and the things that you have experienced in your life. And I want you to know that you matter. What you've been through matters. All of your experiences, all of the things that you've hoped for, you've been disappointed by, you've been affected by, those things matter. And I want to share with you my fascination with humans. The truth of the matter is, is that I'm simply inspired by people. People have inspired me to write creatively and creative writings have inspired me to impart to people. This is one of my writings that describes what I'm talking about. Unknown surround us daily and the future is smeared with pencil. Our purpose, our plan, our destiny, what is it really? We have one, I know that for certain, but the journey can be taxing and the fan club fickle at best. I am forever fixed on one uncertainty that I am fascinated, intrigued, and honored by the intricacies of human beings. They are magnificent, marvelous, resilient, hopeful, unique, moldable, redemptive creatures who assure me repeatedly that precision and strategy was applied in the making of humans. And I know that my heart expands in the face of them. A challenge that is declared at every meeting and in the marketplace, at the orphanage, in the group therapy sessions, at the shelters, in the pews, in the rural rows of the wealthy, in the urban communities of the poor, inside the bars of a prison, in the United States, in Latin America, in Europe, in the murder capitals of the world, in the mountains or in the woods, I have yet to see a human who simply cannot be loved, who cannot be valued, and who is not fascinating at the core, would one take the time to discover the layers. I've learned that not only are humans fascinating, but they're often misunderstood. Humans hurt humans, that's for sure. Humans have the power to help one another and dramatically promote positive change. Humans are resilient. 
There have been unhealthy communities and relationships and contexts that have thwarted the growth of others, stagnated their gifts, their talents, their dreams, and their words. One thing I've learned is that there is a God who undoubtedly is crazy in love with people and that he has been deeply misrepresented. One of the writings that was inspired by a celebrity, actually, who had a relationship with God was written several years ago, and it goes like this. We've highly underestimated the gravity of the adornment of our God. He is not to be shaken off. He becomes a shadow when we darken our paths. He sings over us in our slumber. He turns up his volume when we welcome the noisy chaos. He will whisper into an ear infection, drench a dream that we've left on a porch in mid-August, ruin a party if he must, highlight our misery to spotlight his mercy, drag out a cat to minister a scripture, move a DJ to deliver the song he shares with you, ignite an inferno in the darkest of alleys, repot the plants seated in you as a child. Irresistible love, that's what it is. There is no match on the face of the planet. Although many try to mimic, to clone, to replace, to forget, his love is a compelling force, a twister that removes the counterfeit, a purity that is extracted from the competing materials, love on a mission in a world where focus is greatly lacking. It won't fail. That kind of love, it's what we yearn for. It's what he yearns for. And when I think about this writing and the reality of the love of God, I think about how it's like having a grossly inadequate lawyer. You hear stories of people who have been in these situations where, you know, they've been uh, falsely accused of things or they've had to go to court for some reason or another. And the tragedy of it all is that they end up having an inadequate lawyer, somebody who doesn't represent them well, somebody who doesn't get up there and adequately describe what this client of theirs has been through or what their story is. And the fact of the matter is, is that client, that defendant ends up on death row or in prison and how tragic it is when their story is never really told. And I think about that. That's the way it is with God. The fact that he relies on people to represent him. He relies on people to be able to bring forth that type of uh, love or understanding of who he is. And so many times he's misrepresented. People pile on their own issues. They pile on control or legalistic baggage onto a loving God that people end up rejecting. You know, you may not have a religion or a desire to know God, those of you that are listening. And if you don't, please keep listening. There is so much that we will focus on that isn't related to spiritual matters. It's just imperative to know that God is that type of person who loves before somebody decides to reject him, that he is represented accurately. And I've learned that in order for people to comprehend how valued and precious they are, they need to know that the creator believed in them and applauded them just as they are. So that which matters is about bringing healthy solutions into the reality of some dysfunctional environments where people connect. Over time, we will be discussing things such as dating, 
some of the trends and things that I have seen where people have dated under circumstances where they have been terribly wronged, where they have been hurt, they've been abused, they've been misled, they have been deceived. The dangers, the cyber dangers, the relational dangers, all out of a sense of the fact that we're lonely, that people are lonely and that we want to connect. And so in connecting, we end up being in very dysfunctional situations. We're going to talk about emotional support versus the reverse of that, abuse, emotional abuse. We're going to talk about how important it is that we're in supportive environments, that we're able to lift one another up and not tear one another down, that we'll call people names that applaud them and encourage them and not ones that tear them down, and understanding the difference between what is an emotionally supportive environment or relationship and what is abusive. And some of the things I've seen over the years is that anything from a community group to a school to a classroom to a relationship, a romantic relationship, um, to a church setting can have an emotionally abusive environment. And we're going to talk about the power of words and how powerful they really can be whether they're words that bring us to a great place of encouragement or words that tear us down. We're going to talk about those meanings and how impactful they are. We're going to talk about people, places, and things that advance or thwart us. We always tell clients in whatever setting it is, if somebody is trying to go to another level to, to move past whatever crisis that they're in, that it's so important to think about people, places, and things who am I around? The people that I surround myself with, are they people that I want to emulate? Do their lives involve a day-to-day -day existence that I want to be like? Are they doing things and, and staying in environments that I want to be a part of? Are they people that inspire us or are they people that tear us down? And some of us, I believe, really need to make some changes about some of the people that we're hanging around with. Some of you are in relationships right now, romantic relationships, and it's that one person in your life that is causing you to no longer move forward in your goals, that you're losing your ability to make proper judgments, you're losing your ability to be able to make decisions that are good for your children or for yourself or for your future because of this one person. And so we're going to talk a lot about how important it is that we choose the people that are around us. We're going to talk about places, where we go, where we find ourselves at times when we're out and about. If we go to that particular place, that particular home, that particular bar, that particular um, church or temple or um, any of the places where we might go at the time of day that we go, when we know what's going to be happening there, should we choose differently? What is our environment like? We have choices. We have the ability to control the choices that we make about the people that we're around and the places that we go, and also the things that we do. We choose what we're going to do, how we're going to use our time. Are we going to use our time to advance our goals? Are we going to use our time to build healthy relationships with our family members and our friends? Are we going to use our time to be able to um, allow ourselves to be surrounded by 
you know, the, the atmosphere that is going to promote us further or are those things that we're doing? And you define that. I'm not going to define it. I can define it for myself. But each person, we have to define those things that we're doing that we need to change so that we can advance. We're going to talk a little bit about codependency. How do we end up in relationships with family members or in romantic relationships where we're trying to change that person? We're doing everything that we can do and tearing ourselves down, running ourselves ragged so that we can try to change something in another person. And the truth of the matter is, is that people need to make their own decisions about change. And we need to try to figure out how we can get out of that loop and that lazy river of trying to come in and save the day for somebody who doesn't want to be saved or to make changes for somebody who isn't ready to, to make them themselves. We're going to talk about some red flags to abusive relationships or communities. What are some things that cause us to end up in very unhealthy relationships or communities? One of the earliest things and the biggest things that causes an abusive environment or relationship to exist is quick involvement. And we'll talk a lot about that, but how we jump so quickly into things how we don't take the time to really be able to assess whether or not we know this person, what we know about this particular environment, what we know about the people that run that particular community center or community church or environment that we're about to go into, how much we know about this wonderful person that appears amazing on a dating app or uh, in line at a CVS, but Quick involvement means that we jump and leap into things so quickly out of an impulsivity and we very, very quickly find ourselves in a situation that we're having a hard time getting out of. And I have seen people um, go into situations that have been so destructive for them because they just didn't take the time to allow things to grow gradually. There's really nothing that leaps up so quickly and gets put into place so quickly that has to be at that pace. Almost everything that is good and right and healthy is something that develops over time. It's something that is well-paced. We're going to talk a little bit about runaways. I know there are some of you out there, you may be 60, you may be 16, but you've experienced being a runaway in your life. You've experienced being in a situation where things were so unbearable for you where you were that you felt as though you had to run away and usually people aren't running to something they're usually running away from something and we're going to talk a little bit about the psychology behind that why people are in a predicament so bad that they feel as though they have to pack up and leave and what happens when they do go there the context and the stories and the hope is that we'll interview some people that have actually been in that situation and can share about their experiences. Because we all know what it's like to be in a situation that becomes unbearable for us. Maybe not to the extent that we run, but we certainly know what it's like at times to want to. And so we want to learn a little bit about that and understand uh, the spiritual implications as well about runaways. We're going to talk about authority figures. We're going to talk about the authority figures that are in our lives presently and those that have impacted us when we were younger, when we were little boys or girls. 
authority figures are really significant because they pave the way for how we see people in authority. Even when we're 90 years old, it still impacts us. We'll talk a little bit about the first authority figures in our lives being our parents. And what was that like for us? And did they represent authority well? Did they abuse it? Did they feel as though they weren't qualified? Were they too much of our friends? Were they some type of authority figure that later on we ended up recognizing in a teacher or a pastor or a police officer or a correction officer in a prison? Did they emulate that? Did those people remind us of the original authority figures? And we all know what it's like to be in a situation where there are people who don't know how to wear their authority badges well. They're puffed up and full of pride and abusive at times. And then there are those that are amazing, that are mentors and that we want to invite to our weddings and we want to invite to all of the significant events of our lives because they've been so impactful. And I know right now you're probably thinking about an example of somebody who's been there in your life and who made an impact on you. And we're going to talk about that, the authority figures that have done well and those that have really abused it. We're going to talk about judgment, how we judge people or how we've been judged and how difficult it is to be in a situation where we know people are judging us for the way that we look, the way that we act, what our lifestyle is like, or how we fit in or don't fit in. We all know what it's like to be on that side of things, and we also know what it's like for us to judge. And with judgment, a lot of times comes some difficulty. There's a scripture that says, judge not, or we will be judged. And sometimes when we do judge people, we find ourselves in the very same predicament, but on the other side of the judgment, and how important it is that we are able to work through the reasons why we get into that predicament to begin with. And we're going to talk a little bit about discrimination. We're going to talk about some of the guests that will come on that will talk about their experiences of discrimination, the pain and the impact, but also just understanding how difficult it is to love and to trust when we've been discriminated against for whatever reason it is. And one thing that I will tell you is that I learned a long time ago never to make assumptions about how people feel. It was a 101 psychology 101 experience that I learned the first time I told a client, I know how you feel. And I thought that that client was going to just reach across the table and smack me because the truth of the matter is, is that we can't ever say that we know what someone else feels like. That's just proud and inaccurate, at least, to assume that we can understand what somebody really feels because our experiences and our pain are unique to us. And that's part of the respect of that which matters is understanding that what you say matters, the way you view it matters, that we're not going to make an assumption from one another that we understand what that feels like. There will be guests and conversations from people who have experienced these contexts and more. There's so many more pieces to what I just mentioned. But I've learned that we need to be humble when dealing with one another. I learned when I was very, very young in the field, when I was in my early 20s, that, you know, I thought I knew so much. 
thought I had so much wisdom. And, and over the years, as I've grown up and grown up and grown up and the years go on, I realize how little I still know and the less and less that I know over the years, the wiser you become, the more you realize that we don't understand what people have been through. All we can do is become better listeners and that the greatest respect that we can give a person is a listening ear with an unbiased mind. The very best is to really respect one another. And I want to share a little bit about some of the things that I've learned. When I first became a social worker, a counselor, I was going into projects in New York City. It was part of my job in working in foster care with young teenage girls. And I would have to go into the city, and I had um, a bodyguard. His name was Lester, and um, we all did. And he would go out with us, and we would go into these different places and these different experiences and within people's homes. And I remember people saying, you know, aren't you scared? You're going into some really rough parts of the city. And, and, and I wasn't, and I think that was part of maybe me being a little naive. People used to think I was the welfare lady. And I would go in and be respectful and it was interesting to be in different people's homes and to understand how easy it is to judge when you first are faced with people from different cultures or places, how easy it is to judge. You know, I remember one time meeting with a parent and there was nothing in the apartment at all. Like literally there were bunk beds and they didn't have pillows. There were no blankets. There were no sheets. The kids were just sleeping on just a mattress. And when I brought the daughter of this mom to visit her, she said she needed some more clothes. And they opened up a closet, and there was one closet that had everybody's clothes in it. And it really humbled me when I saw that because I realized how difficult. This woman had like six kids, and I realized how difficult it was for her to be able to have these children with such poverty and prior to that, I had judged this woman a little bit because she never came to visits. She never made the trip to the agency to see her daughter. It was only just us sending the daughter there or driving the daughter there. And, and I realized that, you know, she literally was fighting for her life. She was dealing with poverty. She was dealing with being a single parent. And God only knows what else. And I started to change after that point and really listen to what people have been through. You know, I remember uh, thinking about moms who, you know, would leave their children alone and then they would end up getting, you know, DCF or something like that, you know, would come after them. And, and I remember thinking, how could you do that? How could you leave your child alone? And it wasn't until I became a mom myself and I realized how taxing it is to be a parent, how taxing it is at times when you have a million things to do and you're not sleeping and your child just just taking a long nap and you know that if you get in the car and run to the store and come back, they probably aren't going to wake up. And although I wouldn't leave my child alone or my children alone, I understood why people would, especially single parents, especially people that they didn't have someone helping them. They didn't have family members that could come and give them a break. And I just realized that humans, we as humans have been through so many things in our lives we haven't always had support systems. We haven't always had emotional resources. We haven't always had trainings. I mean, think about it. When we become parents, who gives us the course on how to be parents? There is no course. We go to the hospital, we have a child, and we're trusted to go home with that baby and 
to know how to do whatever it is that we need to do to take care of that child. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And so much of life is like that. You know, even with our parents, one thing that I've learned is that I always give honor to people's parents because for the most part, I believe that parents have done the absolute best that they can do with what they have. And some parents just haven't had the resources, the emotional resources, the resources of people that imparted to them, the financial resources, whatever it is, and they've tried to do the best that they can. I know there's exceptions to that, but I think about it as if you can just say if dad takes a little girl to a a clothing store and that little girl finds all these outfits that she wants to buy and she goes up to the counter and it comes to $1,000 for all these outfits. And the dad only has $200 in his pocket. That's it. He doesn't have a credit card. He doesn't have a debit card. He has $200 in cash in his pocket. No matter how much he would want to give his daughter all those clothes and pay that $1,000, he only has 200 And that's all he can give. And I think in life, that's the way that it is with people, you know. People only have what they have. And I think that's can really help us to decrease the judgment that we have and the categories that we place on others to really give people a break. I believe there's a lot of you out there, you really just need a break. You need to know that you're okay just the way you are. You were created beautifully. And you may have made mistakes, but in the words of T.D. Jakes, you may have done what they said you did, but you're not who they say you are. And that's a real important distinction. We all may have made mistakes. I'm sure we have. I know we have. I know I have. But just because we've made mistakes doesn't mean we are one. Doesn't mean that we're in a predicament where we are defined by the things that we have done wrong or by the poor choices that we have made. And I just want you to know more than anything that What you're thinking right now, it matters. What you need help with, it matters. What your opinions are, it matters. What we're going to talk about and your perceptions on them and the experiences that you've gone through, it matters. And we're going to be here and we're going to journey together. And I invite you to listen and keep listening and keep listening because I promise you there there are going to be episodes that are going to impact you not because of me or because of my planning but because they're universal and we as humans we need a lot of hope right now because we've been through hell over the last few years and that's what this podcast is going to be it's going to be about hope this has been Ginger Wilk the host and producer of That Which Matters in association with IML Productions.